Penny instinctively looked up at the RSJ that ran from one end of the office to the other, knowing it would easily hold his weight, then back at the man sitting opposite him. He was finding it difficult to believe that this was happening. He'd always known that some of the work he did carried with it an element of danger, but never in his worst nightmares had he expected to be staring down the barrel of a gun and pleading for his life. Please, he whispered. Start writing, Mr. Penny, and don't worry if you've forgotten what to say. I can dictate. Penny frowned. You can't make me do it, he said with a lot more confidence than he felt. That gun's a nine millimeter. It'll make a hell of a noise if it goes off in here, and you don't have a silencer. He knew that the downstairs office was empty, and that the guy who worked next door was hardly ever there, but it was still possible that he could spook the man enough to make him think twice. But it didn't work. The man gave him a thin, bloodless smile. That's true, but I'm not going to need to fire it. I have something far better. Still keeping the gun trained on Penny, he leaned down, unclipped the briefcase, and produced a small black netbook. He opened it up one-handed and placed it in the middle of the desk, with the screen facing Penny. Press enter, and tell me what you see. With a growing sense of dread, Penny did as he was told, and froze. His face crumpled. Oh, Jesus. On the screen was a view of the rear of the cottage he shared with Natalie and his two children, taken from the woods at the end of the garden. By the way it was shaking slightly, it was clear that someone was filming it with a handheld camera. In the foreground, he could make out the trampoline as well as the plastic Wendy house that the girls had all but grown out of now. Because of the time of year, it was already dark and there were lights on inside. As he watched, terrified that something might have happened to them already, he saw the unmistakable figure of Natalie, her auburn hair in a tight ponytail, moving about in the kitchen, looking as if she was getting the girls' tea ready. The camera panned in on her, so that her top half took up much of the screen as she poured water into a saucepan blissfully unaware that she was being watched. Looking up from the laptop, Penny watched as the gunman put a mobile phone to his ear and barked a command into it in Russian. A second later, the camera panned away from the cottage and the man holding it set it down, turning it round so that it was facing him. The cameraman took a couple of steps backwards so that the whole of his top half was visible. He wore dark clothing and a balaclava, and Penny felt his heart lurch as he saw the huge hunting knife in his hand, the metal glinting in the moonlight. The man you see there is an associate of mine, explained the gunman matter-of-factly. He's awaiting my orders. If I tell him to, he will go inside your house and round up your family, and then he will cut your wife's throat in front of your children before cutting their throats one after the other. Penny swallowed. He felt physically sick. You can't do this, he groaned, his voice shaking. We can, and make no mistake, Mr. Penny, we will. 
unless you do what you are told. But they're just bloody kids, he said desperately, rubbing his hand across his forehead, wanting to launch himself at the man opposite and tear him apart limb from limb, but knowing, in reality, that he was utterly impotent. The gunman shrugged. That's not my concern. And in case you think I'm bluffing, I have to tell you that my associate is both psychotic and sadistic. Luckily for me, he's also reliable. He has killed on my behalf on three separate occasions. And neither the age nor sex of the victims means anything to him. Oh, God. But if you do what I say, no harm will befall them. How do I know you're not lying? How do I know you won't kill them anyway? Because my client...